Many of y'all have had a good spring break? Yeah, good. Just one of you. That's awesome. Very cool. So this morning, I want you to talk back to me, okay? Spring break, you relax, all that different stuff. I even shaved for you today. It's good. So this next week, we are, next week, the coming weeks, we're going to be talking about scars. Any of y'all have scars? A couple of you, all right. That means you've lived life, right, if you've got some scars? And if you have a scar, you also have a story. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about scars and talking about the healing that God's provided in the midst of those scars in your life. And we're going to start off pretty easy this morning with one of the scars that maybe we've dealt with in life is fear. How many of you are afraid of something? A couple of you, yeah, all right. How many of you ever worry? Oh, yeah, we're, we're professional warriors. How many of us ever get anxious? which is a whole nother even thing than even worrying, all right? And so one of the things that I've been blessed with over the last month is I have gained a new scar. So if you can't tell, I've been hiding it. I've got this. I even grew a beard to hide it for me. But I have this wonderful little scar here that I'm hoping one day won't be as prominent as it is, but I was diagnosed with skin cancer. And so in the midst of that, they said, hey, we're going to take that out. And I thought, oh, cool, I'm going to have a scar that I can show people. And I was thinking it would be this little bitty thing and all that, but it's like, this long, you know, so and everybody that sees it, they ask, hey, what happened? And so I have a story to tell. And I was like, hey, you should see Lauren's boyfriend, you know, that kind of thing. And um, so we have scars in life and behind every scar is a story. And you I know that you have scars and some of the scars, the deepest scars are the scars that can't be seen, the scars that are inside. And so over the next few weeks, as we process through this, is to help us grasp and understand that scars are a natural part of life. And that the scar is a part of healing. And whenever people see that, they can be able to say, hey, what's your story? What are the things? What has God brought you through? Even if you haven't fully healed from it, even if you're not fully through that experience, what is God doing and what is God showing you in that? So what are some of the things that you're afraid of? This is where you can talk back to me. What are some of the things that you fear? The drainage things in the road. Oh, don't walk over them. I'm like, that's, I don't know what that is. Okay. Now, might I add, we do have some weird things that we're afraid of. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. What are some things that you're afraid of, that you're fearful of? Spiders. What? Death? Death? Yeah. Kids? You have a fear of him? Yeah. Reverence? All right. Snakes. Spiders. Death, kids. Yeah, not taking care of the people you want to take care of. Now, what do you worry about? The IRS. Somebody. You must have money. That's awesome. That's good. We need to, let's talk a little bit later. I've got some stuff we need to do. Yeah. I'll help relieve you of some of that. All right. What else do you worry about besides the IRS? What? Failure? Yeah, failure. Your students, that they're going to fail or they're not going to be getting what they need. Someone over here said something. Our country? Okay. Yeah. Anything else that you worry about? Family? What do you get anxious about? What, what gets your anxiety level going? Tra- traffic? Money? <laughs> money in stereo? <laughs> Yeah, get him to church on time. The traffic jams in Lagrange are horrible. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. So we have lots of things that we worry about and get anxious about. We're fearful of our own safety at times. We're fearful of safety for our loved ones, for our kids. We, we do fear death and what's after life because we, we have an experience that you don't know. And so even though we people of children of God, we have a, an idea of what we think it'll be like, but we haven't experienced it. And so there's a fear of, or just an anxiety of what that looks like, especially you get closer. Some experience a fear of a meaningless life. Like what is, when I look back, what's my legacy? Who's going to be, what am I passing on? What am I giving to others? What about the fear of being unloved or alone? I think that's a growing one, right? I mean, if, does anyone truly love me? Does anyone truly know me? And if they do know me, will they love me? Those are fears. Fear of losing a, a love, then the hurt that comes from losing a love, investing in someone, and that being taken away somewhat, somehow. Fear of losing what you even might have, that you've got it, you think that you've reached a certain level and, and it's going to be taken away from you. Not only do we have fears, but as you saw earlier, we have phobias, right? The fear of heights. Any of y'all got the fear of heights? Got the fear of heights. That's why I don't dunk the basketball, because I'm afraid. If I get too high, it'll be it'll be, it'll cause harm. It's, it's it's true. Fear of snakes, fear of needles, fear of clowns. All right, some people have a fear of drowning. Fear of scorpions, a fear of uh, baldness. That's a that's actually a, a true fear. So a couple of us that we have we've uh, we've conquered that fear. Yeah. So I have hope that I can conquer heights. I mean, I've, I've conquered baldness. Heights is next. Um, there's actually a new fear, arachabutophobia. It's the fear of peanut butter getting stuck to the roof of your mouth and you being unable to get rid of it. That's a real fear. That's the culture that we live in is we're, we, we're constantly finding things that we're fearful of and afraid of. Fear is natural to us. Did you realize that, that you're not trained to fear, but you naturally have that, you just begin to fear things. It's naturally something that we're able to do. And as we get older, our fears and our worries and our anxieties grow. They don't lessen. I think one of the reasons that is is because as we get older, we do have some more freedoms. And with those freedoms comes the opportunity to make choices. And as we get older, we realize that sometimes we make choices that are not good choices or they don't work out. And so there's opportunities for failure. And so as we grow in our freedom and we grow in these choices, we fear and anxiety and worry grow in us because we're fearful that we might make the wrong decision. And so we kind of end up in this cycle and it just continues to grow our fear, our worry and our anxiety deeper and deeper and deeper. Some of you say that you worry. Worry is living in the future, right? So that you can see Tuesday and know that Tuesday is going to be an utter failure. You've got that. That's, that's the heart of worry. As a matter of fact, some of us are such professional worriers. We can see Tuesday in great detail. We can tell you all the possible things that will go wrong or can go wrong on Tuesday. And so we almost project that into that day that you wake up with, oh, this is the anxiety and stress that's created from the worry within us. We're just professional warriors. We're professional fear mongers. Fear says, I'm in danger. I'm vulnerable. You don't know what's going to attack. The fear also says you, you have something that you need and you might not get it. That you, you have a, we have a trust issue there. 
We also have this fear that there's something valuable to me and I love it. I'm afraid it might get taken away. And that I value that item, that person, that thing so much that if it's taken away, it will destroy my life and what I perceive as what's important to my life. God tells us throughout Scripture that we are human and that one of the things about being human is we will be afraid. So everybody pat yourself on the back and say, awesome, I am 100% human. As a matter of fact, he says, not only will you be afraid, you will be a professional warrior because you try to pretend to be God. Right? Do we ever do that? We're worrying, we're consumed with that, and we're anxious about it. But here's the deal. There's over 300 plus. This, this topic is the top topic that God talks about throughout Scripture is this idea of fear and worry and anxiety. There's over 300 plus Scriptures that have this phrase, Do not be afraid. And then there's usually a second part to that, do not be afraid. You know what the second part of that is? For I will be with you. Do not be afraid. Do not be fearful. Do not worry. Do not be anxious about anything. For I, your God, your Father, will be with you. In other words, he's consistently, constantly, all the time present with us. And so the very things that consume us with worry, that consume us with fear and anxiety, the fact that we're worried about Tuesday, we should be able to say to ourselves, I'm not God, he is, I'm going to put this at his feet and let him worry about Tuesday. Because he's the same yesterday, today, and Tomorrow. So he's already, he already knows about tomorrow. So he's let him consume himself with worry and concern about tomorrow. He's not worried about it because he's God, but allow him, push that off to him. Chaos, in fact, Psalm 56, verse 3, David is in the midst of some chaos and strife in his life, and people are chasing after him and pursuing him, and he's afraid for his own life. And in Psalm 56, 3, he says this. But when I am afraid, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of strife and struggle, when I'm afraid, I will put my trust in you. He's talking to God. God, so whenever life gets crazy and I naturally want to be afraid, when I naturally want to worry about the results, when I naturally want I'm anxious about this, even the king, the most powerful person in the world at the time, King David, says, I can't handle some stuff, so God, I put my trust in you. That's what I want us to grasp this morning. Is that some of the scars in our life are based on fear and worry and anxiety, and some of the things that we continue inside to kind of continue to pick at them is because we fully don't trust that God will care for us. We don't fully trust that God is a good father and will always be present and is waiting for us. To entrust him. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Exodus chapter 16 and also to Luke chapter 12. We're going to be looking at two different places. Exodus chapter 16 and Luke chapter 12 as we dig into this idea of trusting and fear. Now in Exodus chapter 16, we see that the Israelites are on the move. All right, so if you've got Exodus 16... Hold that spot and then flip over real quick 
to Exodus chapter 2. So Exodus chapter 2. So the background of the story is the Israelite people at this time are in Egypt and they're enslaved. And the reason that they're in Egypt is because of this person named Joseph. And Joseph and his family went to Egypt during a famine and the Egypt had stored up grain, had stored up stuff. And because of that, in the midst of all that, Joseph rose up through the ranks and he was the second in command. Okay. And so he was the one dispensing and, and had been wise and was kept Egypt out of the famine during the time of famine. All the rest of the lands were under great pressure because of that. And so here Joseph grew in rank and all the Israelite people and the family continued to grow over time period. Well, there eventually became a time where Joseph had passed away and his direct relatives had passed away. And so a generation or so had happened. And all of a sudden they didn't remember why all of these people were here. And so they became enslaved. The Egyptians had enslaved them and made them workers to, to do the different things. So if you've seen the pyramids and all those wonderful things, that's probably one of the things that the Hebrew, the Israelite people have been a part of building. And so here's that scenario. So in the midst of their slavery, they began to cry out and to talk to God and uh, say, hey, God, we need your help. So look at Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. Years had passed and the king of Egypt had died. But the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help, and the cry rose up to God. Now, one of the things I want you to get is it doesn't even say that they cried out to God for help. They just cried out. That they were, they were under such pressure and under such persecution. The situation was so bad that they're just moaning and groaning, saying, Some, we need help. And in the midst of that collective groaning and asking for help, God heard their request heard their cries, okay? God heard their groaning, and he remembered the covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he looked down on the people of Israel and knew that it was time to act. Now listen, every time in Scripture that it says that God heard, the next thing is not only did God hear, but then God acts. Not about you're at house, but sometimes someone talks and someone kind of listens, but nothing happens, okay? And so that means someone may have heard it, but didn't listen and follow through on it. There's every time that God's people cry out and he hears it, there's a response. God is constantly listening to his children. And when he hears us, he responds and he acts. God is trustworthy in that. So here you see the very first thing that I want you to grasp is this, is that God hears. That God hears and he's listening to us. In Exodus chapter 2, we see that, that his people were crying out and he hears. And then also we'll see that God delivers and that God responds. Okay, The Israelites had, had overwhelmed with a burden. Their fears, you can imagine the worry, you can imagine everything about that situation of what it was like. And they were even under more pressure produce more bricks and to do more work. And, and, and the Egyptian Pharaoh had said, listen, I'm not even going to provide for you the, the necessary ingredients to make the bricks. You're going to have to even do extra work. And so the burden became overwhelming. Now you'll see in, in Exodus chapter three and four, God had responded and his response was he called Moses. And so he talks to Moses and Moses says, hey, I don't want to be that person. I don't think I'm qualified. I don't think I'm the person to be it. But God convinces him, hey, with me, with Aaron, us, we're going to be leading the people out of Egypt into the promised land. And so God hears and he responds and he delivers. 
And then in the midst of that, the very first thing that happens is Moses and Aaron go to the Pharaoh and say, hey, let my people go. Y'all remember that song? Pharaoh, Pharaoh. Oh. Okay, y'all, some of y'all know it. That's good. Y'all watch Veggie Tales. All right. And so they, the people are asking that. Their whole question is going, let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, no, why would I let this workforce go? They're doing the stuff that I've asked for them. As a matter of fact, it doubled down, the Pharaoh doubled down on working them hard and making sure that they were productive. So Moses and Aaron went and they took the staff that God had given him and he threw it down before Pharaoh and his, his uh, staff became a snake, which is kind of a cool thing. That would have been an interesting thing to see. And so immediately he then began, he picks it up and whenever he picks it up, the serpent then becomes a staff again. Another interesting piece is actually Pharaoh said, hey, well, I've got some guys that can do that. And he called in his, his sorcerers and they threw down their staffs and snakes went everywhere as well, which is kind of an interesting thing. But through this whole process, there were different plagues and different things that were going on. And every time there was a new plague, God upped the ante. And Pharaoh's sorcerers, Pharaoh's religious people couldn't replicate those plagues until finally they got to the point where the last plague was the firstborn, the death of every firstborn male within the family. And so the Moses went to Pharaoh and he said, listen, we've established all these plagues. You still don't want to let the people go. As a matter of fact, your heart has been hardened. And so God has said that this is what he's going to do. For all of those that put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost in the middle of the night, the Passover lamb is going to come. Those that have the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, all of their firstborn sons will live. Those that don't have that, their sons will pass away. So what Moses, what God had told Moses happened and so that you can imagine the weeping and the wailing of all of the people in Egypt and the loss of the first son. And so in that, even Pharaoh himself lost his firstborn son. And he called Moses and Aaron in and he said, get out. Get your people out. Immediately get out. So, and so Moses like, finally. And so they begin to move and they begin to go. And they're, they're moving out of the country and they're going. And all of a sudden, they come up against this obstacle called the Red Sea. And so here's the Red Sea in front of them, and they're looking at Moses going, great, good job. Where was your GPS? Did you not hear the lady saying, rerouting, rerouting, rerouting? Right? And so they get to the Red Sea, and they're looking at it, and they're thinking, okay, you know what? Pharaoh told us to go. We've got time. Well, then the next thing they know that they've got news, they can see the cloud dust, and here comes Pharaoh's army. And he is ready to wipe them out. You can imagine the Israelites turning around and seeing the cloud dust and how big their eyes got going. I've got this in front of me and I've got those people behind me. What in the world? God, why did you bring us out to this? The nation of the moment, Moses said, God's going to provide and he put down the staff and the waters separated and the nation of Israel walked out on dry ground. I've even seen some of the pictures that people have drawn and stuff and that imagine some of them are over there fishing like, hey, look, there's a whale, you know, whatever. And how cool that would have been. But they walked across on dry ground and the very moment that they got all of the people across, still part of the army had gotten so close that they're in there as well. In the last second, here come the waters back together again. And what's cool is you can see in Exodus chapter 15, 14 and 15, the people are like, yes, God is a good God. He provided for us. He cared for us. He watched over us. He, he brought us through the Red Sea. He brought us to this place. And at the very moment that we thought we were going to die, we walked across on dry ground. Yes, God is a good God. As a matter of fact, they had the first dance, dance revolution in chapter 15. I mean, they're like dancing and excited and they're going and it's a party happening, right? 
And so how many times in our life have we gotten to that place where we're hard-pressed on all sides and we see that there's no way out? And we cry out and say, God, I need your intervention. There's the Red Sea in front of me, my enemies behind me, and there's nowhere else to go. And God provides dry ground to get across. And then we celebrate, right? We're like, God is so good. God did this. He provided it. But in our humanity, we do what the Israelites did in Exodus chapter 16. Look with me there. Exodus chapter 16, verses 1 and 3. Then the whole community of Israel set out from Elam, and they journeyed into the wilderness of Sin or Zin between Elam and Mount Sinai. And they arrived there on the 15th day of the second month, one month after leaving the land of Egypt. So this is not, this hasn't been a long journey. I mean, they've literally one month out, okay? And so they've experienced all this incredibly cool stuff with God, and they're one month out in this journey. And look at verse 2. There too, the whole community of Israel, what'd they do? Complain about Moses and Aaron. Why did they complain about Moses and Aaron? Look at verse 3. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. Have you ever felt like that? God, why did you bring me to this? It was much easier. At least I knew what to expect when I was living in my slavery to stuff. At least I knew that. But now you brought me to this new place and I don't understand it. I don't get it. And here I am. It would have been just, just leave me back there. There we sat around the pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. We were enslaved, but at least we got to eat. But now you've brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. Have you ever seen this at Walmart or HEB or whatever? And there's this child that gets fixated on something, moan, and, and like they know that they want it. And so they're going to cry and they're going to moan and they're going to do whatever they can do until finally the parents just go, take it. Have you ever seen that? I know it doesn't happen in your house. It's other people's house. And so I, that's what I imagine here is that, right, you know that that two-year-old or that three-year-old, you know that I'm sure they're eating at you know, the house because you can see the, the lollipop and all the different stuff all over their face. And so, but they see something they want, and so they begin to throw the fit, and, and they forget that their parents provide all this stuff. And here the Israelites are. God has provided for them great and mighty things even within a month being in slavery, they have freedom, and they're like, yes, this is awesome. We've been through the Red Sea. We could fish for all the fish we wanted. And now here I am stuck in this place that I don't know. And so they begin to moan and complain. I think naturally it would make sense for God to go, you know what? I hear you. But until you ask nice, I'm not going to give it to you. Because you heard that, right? It's not, it's not about what you're asking. It's the way you're asking. But here God hears, and God responds. So we see in Exodus chapter 16 that God tells even Moses, I've heard the people complaining, and I'm going to respond. I'm going to give them meat to eat and bread to eat on a daily basis. And so God provides in abundance. As a matter of fact, when the Israelite people went out the first morning and they saw this dew on the ground, they begin to walk around and go, what is it? We know the name by manna, but they didn't even know what it was. And so one of the things is that whenever we ask God for something, 
So many times he provides even beyond our expectations. And so that even happened to the Israelite people as they complained. They've been brought out from slavery to freedom, and here they are in this new land and this new expectation. They're crying out to God and says, listen, I hear your complaints. I hear that you're hungry. I hear that you're not getting what you need. And so he provides meat, and he provides bread for them. Look at verse 16 through 15 of chapter 16 in Exodus. Then the Lord said to Moses, I've heard the Israelites' complaints. Now tell them in the evening you will have meat to eat, and in the morning you will have bread that you want. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. Look at verse 13. That evening, how many numbers? Vast numbers. How many is that? More than one. Right? I imagine like a scene from birds, like like a flock coming in, you know, the air traffic control. All right, you 5,000 quail, come in. And they all land, right? And so here they come. Vast numbers of quail flew in and covered the camp. So plenty to eat. God provides an abundance for his children when they ask. The next morning, the area around the camp was wet with dew, and when the dew evaporated, a flaky substance as fine as frost blanketed the ground, and the Israelites were puzzled when they saw it. What is it, they asked. They looked around at each other, and they had no idea what it was. God hears us not because of the quality of our prayers, but because we're his children and we ask. As a father, there are times that my children ask me for things and I want to go, can you ask a little bit nicer? But I still provide. Your father wants to provide for you. Not Psalm 94.9. Great verse. Is he deaf? The very one who created your ears. God is not deaf. When we cry out, he hears and he responds. For us as his children, he's waiting and patiently waiting and is present with us, walking with us. Do not be afraid for I am with you. And so many times when he provides for us, he he provides for us even outside of our expectations. He provides manna for us, stuff that we never even thought we even needed. He provided. And so here the Israelite people had manna and they began to say this is the best thing that we've ever tasted before. Taste and see that the Lord is good. I'm going to provide the meat that you need. I'm going to provide the bread that you need. I will take care of you. God meets our needs. Don't worry about Tuesday. Don't worry about Wednesday. The fear and worry and anxiety. Look at verses 9 and 10. Then Moses said to Aaron, we're kind of backtracking a little bit. Then Moses said to Aaron, announce this to the entire community of Israel. Present yourselves before the Lord, for he has heard your complaining. In other words, go to church. Come in and let's worship together. Let's, let's talk through this. And then look. And as Aaron spoke to the whole community of Israel, they looked out toward the wilderness. And what did they see? They saw the awesome glory of the Lord in the cloud. So anytime you see that, that means that God was present. So that even in the valley of the shadow of darkness, even though they're in the middle of the desert, and even though they were hungry and they thought that God wouldn't provide, God was present 
with them. And so that we constantly can be in relationship with the one that is present with us. You can't talk to someone who isn't present. So God is reminding his people that wherever they go, no matter the situation, he is constantly with them. All they have to do is ask. The God that is present can hear. The God that hears responds and delivers his people. God cares for us. One of the last things I want you to grasp from this passage is look at verse 4. Is again here. God is talking to Moses, and one of the things is that God is in the middle of all this as he's establishing and he's deepening his relationship with his people. Look at verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you, for your people. Each day the people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for that day. And then look at this part. Underline it in your Bibles if you got it. I will test them in this to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. I will test them to see whether they will follow my instructions. Now jump down to verse 19. Then Moses, here he is talking to the people. He says, do not keep any of it, any of the food, the the coriander that's there, do not keep any of it until morning. But some of them didn't what? Listen. Sounds like us. Some of them didn't listen. Why don't we listen? Because we don't trust. We fear, we worry, we're anxious about. But some of them didn't listen and they kept some until morning. But when they woke up, it was full of mm, protein. And it smelled. And Moses was angry with them. After this, though, verse 21, after this, the people gathered the food morning by morning, each family according to its need. The sun became hot and the flakes that had not been picked up melted and disappeared. See, even again, each family picked up exactly what they need, but there was food left over. It reminds me of Jesus feeding the 5,000. People were there and they were hungry and they were complaining. And Jesus says, feed them. And he feeds them and they had the the loaves and the fish. And by the time that they were done feeding the 5,000 plus, there was food left over. God more than meets our need in abundance. And on the sixth day, They gathered up twice as much as usual. And the reason that they gathered up twice as much as usual is because the very next day, the sixth day is Saturday. The next day is for them is Sunday, and it's their day of worship. And so they didn't work on those days. They celebrated God. They celebrated relationship. There was no work allowed, and so they collected on the next day. And so verse 27, some some of the people didn't listen to Moses, and so they went out anyway on the seventh day. But what happened? They found no food. Here God was showing his people, every day I'm going to meet your needs. Go out on Monday. Go out on Tuesday. Go out on Wednesday. Go out on Thursday. Go out on Friday. Get your daily needs met with the quail and the manna every single day. Know that I'm going to provide for you daily. And then on the sixth day, Go out and get enough for two days. I know that the other days, if you get excess, it's going to, something bad's going to happen to the food. You're going to, it's going to ruin, but I'm going to make a promise to you that if you go out on the sixth day and get enough for the sixth and the seventh day, that that food will not spoil. And guess what? It worked. Should it have based on the other days? No. But God said, follow my 
instructions. And I'll provide for you. I, I, I know that you're fearful. I know that you think that this stuff isn't going to be good on the next day. But just trust me. Let, me. let me show you that I'm trustworthy. Know that I'm here and I want to give you the best. I'm going to give you an abundance of what you need. Just trust me. And he did. God provided. The same happens for us. It's God saying, I want to meet your daily needs. I want to provide for you every single day. Don't worry about tomorrow. I'm, let's focus on today. Don't worry about two days from now. Just worry about today. I am sufficient enough. I can meet your entire week's needs, but I want to just help you focus on today. Because today is enough. God hears us. God delivers for us. Because he's constantly present. But he constantly wants us to grow details, trust in our faith, even what food that you eat. Look at Luke 12. Starting in verse 21. Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a relationship with God, a rich relationship with God. Not only are we not taught to fear, but we're also not taught to say, mine. We learn that. We know it from the very beginning. One of the very first words that kids learn is mine, right? Because they have this little... This little kingdom, they've got their little playground, they've got their little plaything, and, and so they're constantly grabbing toys. So if you were to go into the nursery today, there are kids fighting over and discussing with great emphasis and passion, right, over this toy. Why? Because this toy, they saw at first, and it's their toy. And so they're going to go over to it, and they're going to grab it, and two kids may grab it at the same time, and they're going to go like this and forth, and what are they both going to be saying? I hope that it's yours. I want to give this to you. No, they say, it's mine. And they will hold on for dear life. As a matter of fact, some of them may even bite because they're convinced that it's theirs. And so the struggle for our own personal kingdom begins young. And so we kind of draw this little thing and we say, that's mine. And so we look over there and we're like, oh, I want that and I want that. And so we, we constantly building this little kingdom of what we think people are looking for in us and what we think will bring us great value and purpose and meaning. And so we're looking at our kingdom and we're like, oh, I like this. And then you look out and you're like, whoa, oh, man, so-and-so has got this. I, I need that for my kingdom. And so we'll go and try to get it and bring it into our kingdom and, and we'll struggle and fight for it. We're kingdom building people. It's easy for us to do it. We struggle and we fight because we don't trust. Keep reading. Then turning to his disciples, Jesus said, This is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear, for life is more than food and your body more than clothing. Verse 25, Can your worries add a single moment to your life? Why do you, verse 28, why do you have such little faith or trust? Don't be concerned about what you eat or what you drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world. 
But your father already knows your needs. Why? Because he's present. Verse 31, seek the kingdom of God above all else, and he will give you everything you need. You see, one of the things that we struggle with is we think, this is our kingdom. This is mine. Mine, mine, mine. I want mine. And we worry about it. We have fears about it. We're anxious about it. My kingdom. And you want your, your land and your, your boundaries to be growing and growing and growing because people are looking at you like, I want people to see me as whatever you've got envisioned in your mind. But here's the deal. As children of God, you don't need to establish this kingdom anymore because his kingdom is already established. And so instead of protecting this, you have the freedom now as a child to walk freely and enjoy everything that's a bounty of the good father. But our natural tendency is we don't trust. And so we're grabbing and we're hoarding, we're hiding, we're keeping it. We're stealing, we're taking. Because never is there enough. So the cycle of fear and worry and anxiety continues. And God the Father says, listen, you're my children. As a matter of fact, even the word changes when he says, you become the stewards of my house, that you're no longer a slave, but you're a friend. That idea is that you think that once you were a slave, now you are a steward of the Father's house and that everything that is his is now yours. And so instead of being told to go here and there and there, that you are actually responsible now as a child, as an opportunity to steward out the things and the gifts that are the Father's. And so they're not ours, but we have the responsibility and the privilege and the honor of everything that's in the Father's house. So many times we get in a little corner and we think, this is my closet. Don't nobody touch my closet. Because I've got my little telephone that goes, bring, 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 as you pull it, right? God's saying, my children, why are you worried about that stuff when I can provide a vast number of quail, when I can provide something for you that you look at it and you don't even know what it is until you've tasted it and know this is the best stuff ever. Do not be afraid. Do not worry. Do not be anxious. For I am with you. So those things that you're worried about this week, put them on the altar. Those things that you're concerned about this week, that you're like, I don't know how this is going to get done. I don't know how this is going to happen. I don't understand all this. Just put it at the altar. Do you trust him? Do you think God has got enough to handle your worries, your fears, and your anxieties? Watch Him work and provide enough quail, provide enough manna to meet your needs, to walk freely in the kingdom and house of God and quit trying to worry about your little kingdom when God has given you so much more. Trust him. Let's pray. The only Father, thank you so much that you are always present.
that you hear us when we call. It doesn't have to be eloquent words. It doesn't have to be the right words. It just has to be your children calling and you respond. And the Father, you're constantly showing us over and over and over again that you are trustworthy. May we trust you. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.